0: Good morning, everybody. Can I uh, extend my welcome to you if you're a visitor here at Crawley Community Church? Uh, We are back in Galatians, which is very exciting, having spent uh, a season uh, looking at the Creed. We started in Galatians uh, in the summer. Uh, We paused, uh, but we can't leave the book unfinished. We've got uh, uh, one more chapter to do. So if you have your Bibles, can you turn with me, please, to Galatians? and uh, chapter 5, and we will read these words together, starting at the beginning of the chapter. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not be subject again to, to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You've fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision count for anything, but only faith working through love. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Paul is uh, quite blunt here, isn't he, in this passage? He's not holding anything back. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. (coughs) Let's just pray. Father, thank you for your word. Just pray you'd help us now to open this up and to receive just a blessing from it. Thank you, Father. This passage is all about freedom says that right at the beginning. For, for freedom, Christ has set us free. This, in our very title for this whole series, is a gospel of grace. Galatians is all about the freedom that we have in Christ. We've been rescued from slavery. We've been freed. We've been freed to walk the Christian walk, to run the Christian race. That's what this is all about. And, and so I have a couple of props to help us this morning. If you forget about anything that I say this morning, all this stuff about circumcision, it all sounds a little bit complex, and you're thinking, wow, what's that got to do with 21st century Crawley? Well, I bought some props, so if you forget everything that I have said today, you will remember this. I've bought my running shoes. Today is all about running. If we can have the first slide up, please. Here are two gentlemen, and you can probably guess what they have in common. The man on the left is Dennis Kometo of Kenya. He is the world record holder for the marathon. In uh, 2014, he completed the Berlin Marathon in two hours, two minutes and 57 seconds. That's faster than probably many of us drove here this morning. On the other side, you have a gentleman called uh, Lloyd Scott. He's also a marathon runner. In 2002, he completed the London Marathon in an antique diving suit. I'm actually not sure you can actually run... One, I think there's a definition of what running is and what walking is, and both your feet. If you're walk, if you're running, both your feet will leave the ground. I don't think you can run in an antique diving suit, but he did the marathon in an antique diving suit. It took him five days and eight hours. In 2006, he ran again. This time, dressed in a 100-pound suit of armor, towing a 200-pound dragon. (laughs) That took over eight days. And if you Google marathon runs, you'll find guys that have taken longer to run the marathon, uh, in the cause of charity, obviously. In fact, I believe that the London Marathon recently changed their rules, that you actually have to compete the race in less than 24 hours. They will still let you run, but if you choose to run in an antique diving suit and take five days to do the pleasure, I don't think they give you a medallion anymore. They say, you have to do it in 24 hours. They won't ban you from running, but, but those are the rules that they change. Now, they are two men with a common purpose. They wanted to run. They wanted to compete the marathon, but very different times. And in Scripture, there are many pictures and metaphors of us as Christians, what it means to be Christians. Paul talks about us being a body in 1 Corinthians. Just as there's one body, we have many parts, but all the the different parts can't be the same part. We need that diversity to be a body. Uh, There's a a very powerful picture of us as the bride of Christ, a picture of a wedding. Danny was reminding us of this last week. There's a wedding coming, and, and the Christian, the church, is the bride of Christ. But, you know, in Paul's theology, a picture that is very prevalent, that is very real, that is there in all of his writing, is that of the athlete, of the runner, the one who runs a race. And for me, reading through Galatians, the verse that was so key to me in all of that was verse 7, when Paul looks at the Galatian church or writes to the Galatian church and says, you were running well, who hindered you? Who hindered you? And setting us well no, we're not going to set it aside, we will look at it, but, but putting circumcision aside, putting all the tough stuff in that passage aside, the question for us this morning was, you were running well, who hindered you? Hang on to my running shoes, they'll come back uh, later on. I'm reading from the uh, ESV there, but other translations will say, who held you back? Who obstructed you? Who interfered with you? Now, I'm aware that there are people here who run for a hobby. Uh, I'm not one of them, just to make that really clear. Um, But I'm aware that on Facebook I can see personal bests posted and uh, I'm doing this run and I smile ruefully to myself and say, Not good on you, mate, but not me. So I'm not a runner. And so when Paul asks this question, Who hindered you from running or who stopped you running? I could very easily say, Well, no one. Because you know what? I never started. And there may be folks here, I'm sure there are folks here like that that say, I'm not a runner. Uh, Maybe physically we can't run through age or infirmity. Or myself, just no great desire to run. Uh, Those pictures up there, they don't inspire me to physically run a marathon. I'm not looking at those thinking, I need to apply for the next marathon. But but this is an important picture to us. Because when Paul says, who hindered you from running... He's not berating the Galatian church for for not signing up for the 40 AD Galatia marathon. He's using it as a picture. He's saying your Christian walk is a run. Your Christian walk is a race. Your, Your Christian walk is aiming for the finish line. And who stopped you running? Who hindered you from running? That's a question for us. It's so central to Paul's theology, this picture He says in 1 Corinthians, Therefore I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself might not be disqualified from the prize. To the Philippian church, he says, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which Christ has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So this is a picture that is really key for us, really important for us. Who hindered you from running? So I want to suggest this morning three things that might stop us running. Three things that might cut in on us, might impede us, might stop us, might slow us down. The metaphorical laces coming undone. First thing that might stop us is injury. Athletes can get injured. And I'm thinking back out to the World Cup uh, in, in fairly recent uh, memory for many of us. Uh, obviously, the newspapers were full of players that didn't make the squad, or even when you do make the squad and you make it onto the football field, players get substituted. Because they're injured, they they suffer cramp or something. Now substitution is a kind of a key part of team games, but again, think of the runner who's running the race but then pulls up before the finish line because of injury. If you've seen any footage of that, you, you get that sense of frustration, of of injustice, of oh how 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 sad that he didn't compete the race. And you see, in the church, in our Christian walk, we can get hurt, we can get injured. And if we let that impact us, that can take us out of the race, that can cause us to stop and to fall. And we live in a fallen world, you see, things happen that don't seem right, that don't seem fair, that seem unjust. And it's, it's our human nature, it's our very human nature to want to find someone to blame, to hold someone to account. I don't know if any of you have ever been in a, a car accident and you've had to fill out a car insurance claim form. Very rarely do you fill out a car insurance claim form and say, it was my fault. Hands up, Gov, it was my fault. No, it was the other guy pulled out on me. The other guy cut me up. The other guy braked too soon. I was driving perfectly. He cut in on me. We very rarely say it's my fault. That's human nature. And you see, sometimes when things happen to us, when things go wrong, when life just throws something at us and there doesn't seem to be a very clear human cause or agency, we can say, well, God, where were you? Where were you when this happened? Aren't you meant to be looking after me? Aren't you meant to be caring for me? Aren't you meant to be stopping these things happening? And we can get angry and we can get cross when there's no one else to blame. You were running well. Who hindered you? Do you know such people this morning who've been injured in running the Christian race? Something has happened and they're there on the track, holding their foot, saying, ouch. Now, we need to redouble our efforts to pray for those people, to encourage them to get up and run again. Sometimes, you see, we hurt each other. That's the truth. We hurt each other sometimes. None of us are perfect. And so often, we we can sit here, or we can sit at home, and we can dwell on things, and we can say, she said that. He did that. Why weren't they there for me when that happened? You see, we're all fallible. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to hurt one another at some point, unintentionally. But it's going to happen because we're not perfect. And it's so easy when that happens to draw back from the race, to say, oh, this isn't a race I want to run anymore. This has got too hard this has got too difficult, this is painful, this is hurting, this isn't what I signed up for. I thought it was a straightforward run down the track and now suddenly this person has barged into me. I think one of the things that's so sad, watching, thinking of sporting analogies, if uh, if you've ever seen things like cycle races, certainly sort of sprint cycle races, where the, the bikes are so close to each other and so, or, skate, or, or speed skating, where the skaters are so close to one another. And very often when, when an athlete falls, others fall as a result. There's this collision. There's the, the one guy that seemed to avoid the crash is the one that makes it to the end. You know, ten started, two finish. And there's this pile of eight of them halfway down the track. And you know, that's, that's sad. But there's been this injury, there's been this hurt, there have been people taken out of the race and you want to say, get up and run again. That's what God says, get up, continue the race. But it's a fact that injury can take us out of the race. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Second point, second reason that we can uh, fall back or stop running is Distraction. that can impact us. We get distracted by inconsequential, oh, I'm dead, I do I practice that word, inconsequential, <laughs> inconsequential events. Um, again, just thinking of the Olympics this time, uh, a couple of years ago now, um, I, I remember there, there was this sprint race uh, in which Usain Bolt was running. Uh, and when the runners uh, come onto the track in their track suits and they line up in their lanes, uh, there, there's a steward behind the lane and a box. And they would chuck their tracksuit tops at the steward and it was his job to kind of stuff the tracksuit top in the box and make sure it was there for the athlete when they'd finished the race. Uh, and, and all the other athletes would come on and they'd, they'd chuck their tops at the steward. Uh, they wouldn't acknowledge the steward. They wouldn't say thank you. They wouldn't be talking to them. They'd be focused on the race. They'd, they'd be getting their mind in the game to run, because they got this sprint race ahead of them. And now comes Usain Bolt onto the track. And he's laughing and joking with the stewards. I think if they had a camera, he'd have obliged with a selfie, with a photo. Uh, and it's all chummy, and it's all funny, and all the other runners are just totally focused. And the com- I remember the commentators saying that Usain Bolt is either incredibly silly or incredibly gifted. Because every other athlete is focused on the race. They're not distracted by anything else. And only he, when he'd finally run and won the race, did everybody say, yeah, he was incredibly gifted. But you see, for us, in our walk, in our race, we can't afford to be distracted, to be diverted by inconsequential things. We can't stop for that selfie with the steward. There's the finish right, the finish tape ahead of us. And so we have to run for that. And you see, this is part of what Paul is saying to the Galatians. This is again, when we come back to chapter five, we have to remember, this is getting towards the end of a letter. but this is a theme that has been going on and on and on through this story. Paul was saying, don't get distracted. Don't get distracted with the Jewish laws. Circumcision. Dietary laws, do's and don'ts. Don't get distracted with that. Focus on the race. He said to them in chapter 4, he said, You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have laboured over you in vain. That's Galatians 4, verse 10. Because they were falling back into this kind of, do I need to, to be circumcised to be a Christian? Do I need to follow the Jewish feasts? Do I need to follow the Jewish dietary laws? And they got caught up in this thing about what day is it? What time of the week is it? What day of the month is it? Do we do this? Do we do that? And Paul's saying, you're not focused on the race. You're becoming distracted. So important that what we have just finished in these last few weeks, our We Believe series on the creed, looking at the truths of what we believe, The things that we focus on, the things that are not there, we we can talk about, but we don't want to be distracted by. It's okay for people to have different views on certain things. But how often do we make that the focus of our debate and our discussion? How often do we want to debate, for instance, creation and evolution? You know, hands up if you think the universe was... But rhetorical question, hands up... If you think the universe was, was created 10,000 years ago, literally, as it says in Genesis, hands up if you think it was 10 billion years ago, according to scientific model theory. Now, we can have different views if it wasn't a rhetorical question. I guess there will be hands for both answers going up. And there can only be one right answer. We can't all be right. But we have to ask ourselves, is this really a fundamental question on which our salvation depends? Or is the Bible liberal enough or open enough to allow us to have different views? Now, we can be really passionate about it. I I personally am really interested in that. I have an academic background in cosmology and astronomy. I'll read books on the standard model. That works for me, and it's quite a challenge when you read that with one hand and pick up the Bible with the other and say, hey, they can't both be right. And in my Christian walk, I've gone through a whole process of, well, which one is it? And I've pinged between this and pinged between that and come to the clu- conclusion that in the end, God created the heavens and the earth, and that works for me. Now, we can debate those, and I love to debate those, but we don't make the issue. that the issue. We don't get distracted by that. I've known people to leave churches because a particular view was preached from the front that wasn't the view that they held. And that's why I say the creed was so important, and so vital for us to go through that, because if anybody stands up here and says, Jesus wasn't fully God and fully man, if anybody stands up here and says that, you have a perfect right to walk out that door and say, hey, I'm not coming back. But if someone stands up and says something that, hey, we've got the freedom to discuss, to debate, to not get too hung up about, then let's do that. Let's not get too hung up about it. We can have different views on the Holy Spirit, different views about baptism. That's why it was so good, again, a couple of weeks ago, to have our uh, sofa session with, uh, with Valentina and Justin and, and Richard when we talked about how do we reconcile the different things that different denominations believe How far do we push that? Or is that okay? I thought that was a really helpful discussion. Because there are areas that that we want to discuss and debate, but we don't want to get distracted on. If we think about the end times, are you a premillennialist, an amillennialist, or a postmillennialist? Or don't you know? fourth answer, by the way, is a pretty good one. I don't know. I really don't mind. Christ's coming back. Christ's coming back. I don't need a timetable to set my clock by because actually, Scripture tells me not to do that anyway. Christ's coming back. Again, that's what we can debate. We can debate which particular viewpoint you have. What are the pros and what are the cons? But let's not get distracted by that. Let's focus on the race that we have to run. What has someone said to you recently that you've disagreed with? That may not quite line up with your own personal viewpoint. Does that cause you to distance yourself from them? Does that cause you to have doubts about that person? You know, let's not get distracted by those sort of things. We've got an enormous freedom within scripture There are absolute truths which are clearly defined and we've looked at those and there are other things that, hey, we can debate. But we are brothers and sisters together and we can deal with that. So let's not not allow distraction to cut in on our race and impede our running. What's the third thing that can uh, impact our race, impact our Christian walk? Well, the third thing is attack. Attack. The third thing is attack. You see, uh, attack from those who would oppose us. It's perhaps harder to find a sporting analogy for this because sport is meant to be fun, I guess, until you're 2-0 down with a couple of minutes left on the clock. But again, thinking back to the World Cup, we've seen that tugging and jostling in the penalty box. We've seen players clearly pulled back when they're through on goal. We've seen the professional foul, to use the phrase, where an athlete is taken out of the race for a very clear and very uh, obvious reason. And what does that mean for Paul and the Galatian church and for us? This is an important point because actually... This was what Paul was facing. This is actually what Paul was facing when he wrote wrote this letter. He was facing a very clear, a very obvious attack on his ministry. And that's why he's actually so vehement and so blunt in some of the things that he says. Because, you see, he, he says in this passage... He says some interesting things he says. He says, well, you know, I'm preaching circumcision. And we think, well, is Paul preaching circumcision? There's lots of stuff in here about that. What's actually going on? As we read the passage, what seems to have happened is this. Because the church at Galatia have been unsettled by conflicting teaching. Paul has planted the church. He's established the church in truth. He's established the gospel of grace... And he's gone off, and then other people, and it seems one person in particular, has come into the church, and they said something like this. I'll paraphrase it, but this is kind of what they've said. They said, oh, Paul says you don't need to be circumcised. Is that right? Yeah, say the church. Paul taught us that these things are not important. They're inconsequential. "Hmm," Says this person. That's interesting. Did you know that Paul is actually teaching circumcision? and circumcising people, and if he's not saying that to you, he's probably only giving you half the truth or doesn't think very much of you. Do you see how pernicious that is? Because at the heart of each lie is an element of truth. You see, Paul has circumcised people. In Acts 17, Paul writes that he circumcised Timothy. Paul circumcised Timothy. Timothy. And he did that for the very reason that, well, Acts 17, I don't think I got the verse there, but Acts 17, 31, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now put yourself in the, in the midst of the church at Galatia. Paul has come to you and said, doesn't matter if you're circumcised or not. That's not what makes you a Christian. That's not what makes you acceptable to God. It's far more important truths. And then word comes back that Paul has not only not taken anybody, not a nobody, but taken his protege, his, his the man he's mentoring, Timothy, and said to Timothy, "Timothy, you need to get circumcised. We need to circumcise you." Now, do you see how that is going to play out to the Galatian church? What's going on? What happens to these, these people that have come in with this lie that seems to have this element of truth in? It's an attack. It's, it's an attack on Paul, on his ministry, on the very thing that he stands for. The enemy is using that against him. Because the truth was, Timothy was a Jew. He had a Jewish mother, but he had a Greek father. And what that means is probably his Greek father had objected to him being circumcised, so Timothy had never actually been circumcised. But he was a Jew. He'd been brought up as a Jew in a Jewish family, and Paul knows that he's going to have a powerful and important ministry to Jews. And so Paul says to him, it makes sense if you're circumcised, because now you will be acceptable to the Jews. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says this. He says, to the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. And then he says, very next verse, he says, to those outside the law, I became as one outside of the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. You see, what is primary in Paul's theology? I want to win people to Christ. And if there's a group of Jews over there, I'll be as Jewish as I can to win them to Christ. And if there's a group of Gentiles over there, I'll be as, gentle as I can, Gentile <laughs> as I can to win them to Christ. Is that being hypocritical? No, that's being real. I love uh, Andrew Wilson. Many of you will know Andrew Wilson, great teacher in Newground Churches. Um, I I can't remember exactly where he's based now, but I remember being in a a lecture that he was doing, uh, talking about objections people have to the Christian faith, particularly in the context of doing Alpha courses. And he says, so often people say, uh, I can't possibly become a Christian, I can't believe in all the stuff that you believe in, because you Christians, you don't believe in dinosaurs. Going back to this creation and evolution debate, yeah? You don't believe in dinosaurs. You think it all got created and the dinosaurs are just a myth. And Andrew Wilson said, if if I'd heard that once, that would have been okay. That seems to be in the top ten reasons for not becoming a Christian. You lot don't believe in dinosaurs. And Andrew Wilson said, I really don't care. If that's what's going to help me win you to Christ, guess what? Bring on Tyrannosaurus rex, he's good in my books. We'll talk about dinosaurs. I'll, give, I'll bring out my Doreen kinderly book of all the 101 facts about dinosaurs. We'll have a dinosaur session. Because if in doing that, I can talk to you about Jesus and win you to Christ. That's what it's all about. But Paul's under attack here. He's under attack because his very ministry, his very ministry that says circumcision is not important, is inconsequential, has been twisted and turned and thrown back at him. And people are saying, ah, but you're circumcising. And sometimes you see, going back to this point, what can take us out of the race is the very things that, that we're strong at, that we're defined by, that are our ministry, the enemy will use against us, the enemy will attack us with. Many of you will know that uh, Valentina has been working for the past couple of years in the online church um, providing uh, resources for Russian uh, speakers who want to uh, log on and watch a church service. Again, that that started two years ago uh, with Spanish and German and Italian. Uh, Well, three years ago, they actually launched online church England. They did it for, for England only for a year and then they bought the languages on board. And the very day, the very day that the English online site launched, the servers failed in the internet provider that was delivering this service. I don't think they've ever failed since, but on that one launch day when you wanted people logging on, the servers failed and people couldn't get, in, get onto the service. You think, is that a consequence? Is that a coincidence? Or is that an attack? Uh, Darren, the the elder at Wimbledon who heads up the whole of the the online uh, ministry, he's a fairly uh, competent IT techie guy. He went through three laptops in in kind of the first couple of months of launch because they failed and crashed and broke for reasons that, uh, that we still don't know. You think, is that coincidence? Or is that the enemy taking the very ministry that we're championing and using it against us? You see, attack is what the enemy will use to take us out of the race. You were running well. Who hindered you? I started this morning by talking about two men. I don't know if we can pop them up again. So, which one are you? Which one do you want to be? Let's ask that question. Do you want to be a, a Dennis Cometto, who has shed every encumbrance that he might run the race? Or if we ask that question, would you actually in all honesty say, yeah, it feels like I'm pulling a two hundred pound dragon behind me at the moment. That, that's my life. That's where I'm at. What hindered you from running? And you see, for all of us, there'll be different answers. I, I've given just three: the the things that kind of cause our laces to come undone and trip us up. Injury. We get hurt. Stuff happens. Don't let that take you out of the race. Distraction. Let's not get caught up with inconsequential things. Let's not make them the focus of our race. Usain Bolt can do it metaphorically, but let us focus on the finish line. An attack. We will be attacked. We'll be attacked in the very areas that we think we're strong. Let's resist that and hang on to that. It says right at the beginning again of this passage in closing for freedom. Christ has set us free stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery or a yoke of illness or a yoke of disappointment or a yoke of discouragement or a yoke of fear or a yoke of you finish that sentence for what you're facing at the moment I ask the guys to come back up. We're going to sing a chorus to close. I'll remove my running shoes and give you your music stand back. But hold on to that picture. Uh, And as the guys come back, it will be good if, uh, if this morning any of this has spoken to you. You say, yeah, I'm not running as fast as I could be. I'm not running as fast as I want to. And we'll pray with you this morning. You can come down the front, we can pray with you. You can just turn to somebody you know and, and ask them just to pray with you. Say, hey look, I just feel I'm being taken out of the race because of this. And we'll pray with you for that. Thank you, Father, for this gospel of grace. For the freedom that comes from every page, from every sentence. Lord, give us the heart of a runner so that we can serve you to the best of our abilities. Lord, help us in the areas where we're weak. Come alongside us where we need encouragement. Help us to keep our focus on the race ahead. Thank you, Lord, that you're with us. Thank you, Lord, as we've worshipped this morning. You've reminded us that your spirit is with us to help us and to lead us and to guide us and to lift us up when we need lifting up. Amen. Amen.